All right, everyone, we're going to get started. Okay, if you need seats, there, there are two seats up here, and there are a couple in there if you want to grab it. So thank you for coming to our breakout on enduring affection, life and love after 30 years of marriage. So it was 30 years, two months, and one day ago. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, I know. I had to total it up this morning just so I was, I was clear. Good we job. Were married. So we, we want to share with you, Shen and I, just some things that the Lord has, um, has taught us over the years. Uh, there are a number of things that we want to talk to you about during this session, uh, but we want to be clear on what we're not going to talk about because we just want to make sure that what we're going to do is aligned with your expectations. So this breakout is not about three things. Let me just tell you, okay? So it's not about how to find the right person to marry. We're not going to talk about that. As important as that is, our goal together this morning is not to aid in your discernment in trying to find a future spouse, at least not directly. I think indirectly you'll pick up some hints, but it's not directly. That's another topic for another time. It is not our topic for this time, okay? So second thing is... Uh, this breakout is not about how to keep the honeymoon fires burning even after the official honeymoon ends. That's not what it's about. There are plenty of resources out there on how to keep dating your spouse and how to keep romance alive and well in marriage. So we're not going to repeat them and we're not going to try and top them, although we could. Okay, we're not, <laughs> all right? And then lastly, and I think this is probably the most important thing we want to say is this. Hey, there's, there's two seats right here. And two seats over here. And over there, so you want to go. No, no, one's, no one's going for the seat. There, there, yeah, you can do it. This, uh, you can do it. Yep. 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 Okay, great. And then we'll just close this door. Can you do that? Can you do that? Okay. So the last thing is this breakout is not about promoting marriage over singleness as a better or more godly option. That's not what we're going to do, okay? Listen, you all know there's a strong push in our culture and there's a strong push in the church to see marriage as, let's face it, the promised land. Uh, you know what I mean? After the long and arduous single years of wilderness wanderings, it's tempting to view marriage as the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And although marriage is good, so is singleness in the Bible. And so the majority of you here today are single and the majority of you will get married someday. But please know, while marriage is a good gift from the Lord, so is singleness. It's a good gift. Now, some of you may not be single for your entire life, but you may be for the next number of years. And so I actually didn't marry Shannon until I was 31. So I, I was single for, for a number of years. And that's why at the end, what we want to do is take all of what we're saying and talk to you about what you can do now, even as you think about marriage in the future. Okay, so that's what we are not planning to do. What are we planning to do with our time? Very simply, Shannon and I want to look at a passage from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, specifically Ephesians 5, many of you are familiar with it, we want to draw out three keys to enduring affection within marriage. That's simply what we're going to do. Three things that, if by the grace of God, you and your future spouse are committed 
to working at these things and working out these things, it will lead to increasing affection and enduring resilience in marriage. And those three things are right on your outline. You can look at it. They're on pages 24 and 25. You'll see it there. We're going to talk about a passion for transformation, a commitment to unity, and a vision for preparation. Our goal is we're going to blow through this pretty quick because we want to get to Q&A time, okay? So let me pray. God, thanks for our time together this morning. Father, help us even as we think about this really critical area about affection and endurance in the season of marriage. Help us to glean a lot from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me read the passage for you. If you look, it's on page 24. It's Ephesians 5. We're going to start at the very beginning to get the overall context, and we'll go into that classic passage on marriage. Look what Paul writes. Ah, now I'm mic'd. There we go. <laughs> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. His mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Ever let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, she respects her husband. Therefore, do not worry about to, Where is that from? Not worry about tomorrow. Your husband. It will be given to you as well. That's another passage there. It, it, it said weird. Yeah, that's little, weird. little typo uh, at the end. That's a typo at the end. So we'll, we'll just add there. Wife respects her husband. There it is. Okay, so look at <laughs> on your outline there. A passion for transformation. Passion for transformation. We'll start there. <laughs> okay, so there was a saying that Shannon and I were told a number of times before we got married, and we have heard repeated, and we've told other people mm -hmm. in the 30 years since. And this saying, it is memorable, it is true. Many of you have heard it. It's this, marriage is for holiness, not happiness. That is so important. Marriage is for holiness, not happiness. Let me tell you, friends, once you get that, once that becomes the lens which you view marriage, everything begins to fall into place. So, in fact, that actually was the main point 
in that passage that Paul wrote to husbands and wives. And you can see it right there on your outline there. We, we picked out uh, verses 26 to 30. But look at the end there, that, that first sentence there, where it says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is really key. Because what it means is this, the main goal of a husband and a wife is to get their spouse ready for eternity. That's the main goal. Mm -hmm. To help each other work out their own salvation and get ready for glory. Now let me tell you, that goal is far different than perhaps many of the goals and the desires that you might currently have or that our, our culture promotes. And so most people think of marriage as this, ah, oh, I don't have to be lonely anymore. Or this is someone that I can finally come home to at the end of the day. Or marriage is God providing a person who will understand me and listen to me and care for me. Now, I want to be clear, these are the blessings of marriage. They might be the fruit of a godly marriage, but they're not the point of marriage. They're not the goal. You being happy is not the point of marriage. You being holy is. And you being an instrument in the holiness of your spouse is. That's the goal. So, so what does this mean? I, I really do love Shannon for who she is, but I love her so much that I want her to become more like Jesus. And therefore, I want to live my life and work in our marriage so that I, I, I live with her, I love her, and I pray toward that end because marriage is for holiness, it's, it's not for happiness. Or, or a, a, another way to put it, the happiness of marriage is tied to pursuit of holiness in marriage. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. Now, we're going to flesh this out. So if, if you notice in that section there on your outline, Paul uses one image, I just gave it, but then he uses three actions to give definition to this pursuit of holiness. And they're captured by those three words, washing, nourishing and cherishing. Shannon, why don't you talk about the washing? Yeah, sure, thank you yeah. for setting this up. Uh, it's so true. Happiness of marriage really is tied to the pursuit of holiness in marriage. And I appreciate you said that there's one image and then three actions. So the one image, you might have caught it, is a, the image of a body. That's the image that Paul uses. And he says that the husband is supposed to love his wife as he loves his own body, just like Jesus loved his church. So caring for your wife in the same way you would care for your body. And the first thing is washing, like we're gonna talk about washing. Just like you wash your own body, and it requires three things, washing each other in marriage requires three things. Number one, you gotta see the dirt, right? See the dirt. Number two, 
you got to address the dirt. And number three, you remove the dirt. That's what washing is. See the dirt, address the dirt, remove the dirt. Before you can clean your body, number one, you got to see the dirt. Stinky pits, bad breath, hairy legs, I don't know, five o'clock shadow, whatever you guys have. You got to see the dirt, right? Then you know what you need to clean. The same thing in marriage with Mark and I. We need to let each other into our messes and into our weaknesses, into our sin and temptations. Bottom line, we've got to let each other see the dirt. But it's not enough to see it. We have to be willing to address it as well. And by address it, I just mean talk about it. Talk about it. In marriage, we have the incredible privilege and the right to see and talk about each other's faults and flaws. In an enduring marriage, a healthy and happy marriage, we don't just see the dirt and pretend it doesn't exist. We welcome conversations about the dirt. I just want to say straight up, this is very hard because I want to pretend I don't have any dirt. And Mark does too. Mm. But the truth is, we both see each other's dirt. Very and we got to talk about it. Very dirty. Very dirty, yes. But we can't get defensive. We can't get prickly. We can't make excuses when our dirt gets brought up. In marriage, you have got to let your spouse into those temptations, into the struggles, into the fears. And there is only one way that you would ever let another person know you and talk about your dirt. And that is the gospel. The gospel and believing it is true is absolutely key. Both sides and halves of the gospel. Because Jesus loves you, you are more loved, cherished, known than you could ever imagine. But that is only half of the gospel. In order for that half to be true, you must believe the other half. You are more sinful than you know. You are more sinful than you know. Both halves have to be believed. In our context, the way we would say it is, you've got to believe and realize you are dirtier than you know, but you have been washed and totally cleansed by Jesus's death on the cross. Dave Royce just preached that to us. We are cleansed. Being reminded of this, that's the last step in being washed. Then you can remove the dirt. Removing the dirt is rooted in remembering Jesus himself has washed you. And living like it's true, well, that's what washing is all about. So what does washing each other with the word actually look like? First, I have to admit my weakness and fears. First to the Lord, and then courageously to Mark. I have to admit my sin or my failure. First to the Lord, and then to Mark. And then Mark will often remind me, Shan, you are a new creation in Christ. 
Your sin does not define you. It has been forgiven and removed. You are honored, not shamed. But we grieve together. We grieve and we pray. And Mark might say, is there any way that I can help you so this doesn't happen again? And it goes both ways. I then have been washed. I've been reminded of the gospel. Jesus is my peace. Jesus has washed me, and now I am motivated to live like a washed woman because I am not dirty. I have been cleansed. And I'm going to run through a large number of little texts from Ephesians. Just if you want to jot them great later on, you can listen again and get them. A washed woman walks as a child of the light, Ephesians 5, 8. Walks in a manner worthy of the calling to which I was already called, not through anything I did, for one. Through washing, we help each other no longer walk in darkness. That's from Ephesians as well. We help each other put off the old self, 422. Put on the new self, 424. We live like we're alive and not dead anymore. Ephesians 2, 5. You see, washing each other with the word is the first action listed in this text. And it's only one to produce an enduring marriage. And there's another you're going to talk about. Yep, yep. Nourishing. Talk about nourishing. Yeah. And, and just a word about washing. This, listen, gang, this is so essential. Because so many marriages are built on the unspoken assumption like, I get to keep my sins and patterns and you get to keep yours. Mm. And we'll be happy. Like, this is the safe place. But what Shannon is saying, what we would say, the gospel is your safe place. Amen. That's where you're pre-forgiven of everything. And therefore, in marriage, you really can, in a covenantal relationship, help each other toward holiness in a way that no one else in your life is ever going to do that. So washing is essential. The second thing is nourishing. See that there in, in, in verse 29 where it says, uh, where is it there? Same way, well, he, he loves his wife. Oh, but nourishes and cherishes it. There it is, nourishing. Okay, so how do, we, how do we nourish our bodies? Well, most of us who got on on time did it at breakfast this morning, right? <laughs> and you're going to do it at lunch and at dinner time. We nourish our bodies by feeding them. Mm-hmm. That's an p- important image. In marriage, we are called to feed our spouse. Not, not only with physical food, but with spiritual food, the, the primarily and essentially the food of God's word. That's essential to marriage. And this helps us understand the importance of being in the word ourselves. Not so that we can be encouraged and fed, but so that we can feed and encourage the one that God has placed next to us for life. Now, listen to what Paul said just in the section prior to this in Ephesians 5. He says this, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that? So the word in us is always coming out of us. So friends, one of the keys to enduring affection in marriage is to have a plan for being nourished in the word and for nourishing your spouse in the word. So what does this mean? 
One day when you're married, or for those of you who are in the room married, you need to share with your spouse what you're learning in the Bible. You need to talk about the sermon at church, how it impacted you, what it meant. As you read a good book and you glean some insights, make a plan to share those things with your spouse. You need to be in a healthy church where the gospel is preached and it is lived out. Shannon and I have seen over the years that a marriage will only be as strong and godly as the church community that it's a part of. Mm-hmm. Also, I think, as you think ahead toward marriage, you need to free your spouse to spend time in the scripture or to attend a Bible study or to occasionally go away to a solid conference or a retreat. It, it's, it is easier when you don't have kids. When kids start to come into the picture, People feel stretched, and I think, particularly for guys, hey, guys, we're not going to babysit our kids because they're our kids too, right? Okay, we don't, we don't babysit our own kids. We watch our kids. And a godly husband will have a vision. I want my wife to be nourished. Hey, honey, go away to this retreat. I got the kids. No problem. They're mine too. Attend this Bible study on this night. You need to be nourished. I'll watch the kids. They're, they're mine too. So as for me, right now, in our stage of life, at our church, I'm studying and preaching through the gospel of Mark, and so my first audience is always Shannon. So I share my thoughts with her, I bounce ideas off of her, I chew on the word with her. So the principle here is this, whatever goes in, find a way for it to go out, first to your spouse and then to others. So we wash, we nourish, and you're yeah. going to be cherished. And then we cherish. Cherish is the last thing. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. That's verse um, 29. It's so helpful. Thank you for, for feeding each other. Well, if you want to write it down, I would define cherishing in this context as a commitment. A commitment to seeing and celebrating a commitment to seeing and celebrating God's image in the other person. A commitment to seeing and celebrating God's image in the other person. Basically, you do Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up fits the occasion, and gives grace to those who hear. Giving grace and building up. That's what cherishing is all about. Seeing and celebrating. I am cherishing, I am cherished by Mark when he sees me as God's workmanship. Mm -hmm. I'm cherished by him, Ephesians 2.10. And Mark is cherished by me when I see that he is God's workmanship. He is God's poem, magnificent poem, that, pass, that points past Mark to the Lord who made him. Another way to say it is cherishing is seeing and celebrating the gifts that Christ has uniquely given to that other person, Ephesians 4, 7. We see and celebrate how the other person loves others, builds up others, sacrificially serves others, 
we catch him at it. And we point it out. And we say, oh, look at that. You look just like Jesus. That is so awesome. In our marriage, you see, and in every marriage, you have the ability and the honor of reminding each other of how God sees you. That is powerful. And how we image God to a watching world. We cherish each other by reminding each other what is true. And we start to dismantle those lies that we all have heard, whether it's from parents, from peers, from teachers or coaches. We dismantle those lies and replace them with what is true. You remember them. You'll never amount to anything. You're ugly. You're stupid. We dismantle those things and replace them with the truth. You are significant. Every single day, God has amazing good works for you and you only to do. See them and celebrate them. You are beautiful. Every day, you look more like Jesus. Amen. And it is stunning. Stunning. You're smart. You know how smart? You have the mind of Christ. Wow. Talk about smart. Cherishing your spouse builds trust. Cherishing your spouse builds the trust so that you can wash each other. Tim Keller puts it this way. Using your words to affirm your spouse makes it easier for your spouse to open up about their faults. Because you have a cradle of security for your moments of vulnerability. And that's so powerful. You see, cherishing your spouse builds the trust needed to wash your spouse. An, exp an example of this cherishing might be Mark will share um, a tough thing that happened, a long, hard, disheartening conversation that he had with a precious brother in Christ. And I might say, Great job, babe, being patient and kind. You really image the Lord to your brother today. I, I thank God for you. All of a sudden, Mark goes from an exhausting, discouraging day to being one that was hopeful and actually purposeful. God was doing something. We are cherishing each other. This is what happens when we cherish each other. We see each other from God's perspective and we celebrate what God is doing in us and through us. So that's cherishing. So marriage is for holiness. Mm. It's not for happiness. And I just want you to know, this is not how Shannon and I started out. So we started out by saying that that was true, but by living as if happiness was the goal. Mm -hmm. So I started at marriage with the goal of me being happy and me keeping Shannon happy. Mm -hmm. She did the same. And after a while, we realized this is not working. This is uh, the, the, the pressure points and the, and, the, and the cracks began to show, and we had to redo marriage. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the fruit. 
of redoing marriage, washing, nourishing, and cherishing. Second thing that leads to enduring marriage is a commitment to unity. It's on your sheet, commitment to unity. Look what Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let me just talk about this for a moment. There are, I would say, two popular images and thoughts um, about marriage in the Christian culture and at times in the wider culture. And here they are, that in marriage, we find the person who completes us, or that marriage is about two people becoming one person. That's bandied about in the culture. Now, both of those have some roots in the scripture. Both are true in some ways, but both are very prone to be misunderstood and therefore misapplied. Friends, listen, marriage does not complete you. Mm -mm. If that were true, it would mean that at this point, if you are single, guess what? You're incomplete. Or if you remain single or while you remain single, you are somehow missing something. And that is not true. What is true is this. In marriage, God can provide a spouse who can complement us and help us, not someone who can complete us. You are already completed in Christ. Which is why in marriage, the two become one in terms of direction and labor, not in terms of personality and preference. And that's why I think there's often a pressure point in Ephesians 5, I think mostly for ladies and not for men, because of that submission thing. It's like, okay, like, do I lose myself in my husband's dreams and his plans and what he wants to do? I would say, no, no, not at all. Like, the best marriages are those in which each spouse has the room to grow and to exercise their gifts. You do not lose yourself when you become married. You actually become more like who Jesus is in you, and you work with your spouse to make sure that that process continues. So what does this mean? It means that in marriage, one of the keys to enduring affection is you have to work for unity and consensus. You have to work for agreement as issues come up. Notice that, that Paul, what he says about marriage, is premised on what he wrote first, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So even though covenantally the, the husband is the head of the marriage relationship, we believe that that's true. Listen, the head can never act independently of the body. Or in the body is never independent of the head. When that happens, you have a murder scene. <laughs> like a decapitated head and a lifeless body. And that's why the key here is communication. Like a lot of communication. That's why in Disciple Makers, one of our core values is unity. And the first line of that core value says, real unity is hard work. And it is. It takes time to listen and to understand and to draw out, and to share, and to explain. And the goal is never to get the other person to agree or to submit, but to force yourself to humble yourself and to understand the other person. Now, I, I think, at least, at least for me, this will often mean spending more time praying 
about talking to your spouse than talking to your spouse. Mm -hmm. So asking God to change my heart and my desires before I ever ask him to change Shannon's hearts and uh, Shannon's heart or her desires. But this is what it means to be unified. And one of the reasons why Shannon and I, at least, uh, at least once a week, we try and have date night, mm -hmm. even after 30 years, is that there's just time to talk and time to communicate and time to work through things. Why? Because we are one. And one doesn't mean her becoming on my page. It means us getting on the same page and serving the Lord together. Mm -hmm. Okay, last thing is mm -hmm. a vision for yeah. preparation. Yeah, marriage is a grace mystery. That's the last point. <laughs> Amen. Vision for preparation. Marriage is a great mystery. The relationship between a husband and a wife mirrors the relationship between Christ and his church. Marriage is built, you see, on the pattern of salvation. That is a great mystery. Christ died for you. And if you are a Christian here and have trusted in him, you matter to the only one who matters. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying you're not incomplete if you're single. Mm -hmm. Jesus was single, okay? You were not incomplete. It is tempting to think that when I get married, then I'll start to do these things. These things of cherishing, of washing, of nourishing. But marriage is simply a continuation of the patterns you already have. Let me say it again. Marriage is just a continuation of the patterns you already have. What you establish, you continue. So start now, friends. Start today. The first and most important thing is, do you know Jesus? Are those two halves of the great gospel true for you? Have you trusted in him? Do you matter to the only one that matters? That's number one. Then you can start living like you've been washed, right? You can ask yourself if you're a Christian, am I a godly, trustworthy friend? Do I have a few godly, trustworthy friends? Do you ask others to wash you in the word? Do they know your dirt? Do you share those hard things to share and ask them to wash you in the word, letting them see your dirt? And on the other side, do you wash others with the word? Are you so good at cherishing others that they let you see their dirt and want you to talk to them about it? Are you a safe person to share with? You see, almost all the verses that Mark and I have referenced, you might notice, they were in the letter to the Ephesian church before chapter five, where it talked about husbands and wives, like this little paragraph thing. So every single one of those verses has been written to the whole church, not just to husbands and wives. So what we are talking about is what you can do right now, today, starting today in your godly friendships. You can cultivate relationships where you wash, nourish, cherish the other person and where you let them do that to you 
And these are the keys to an enduring marriage. Yeah, and I was just talking with someone recently. We were talking about some of these things. He's single. And he said, maybe what some of you have said, well, when I get married, then, as if marriage somehow is a transformational thing and your character and your patterns will shift dramatically. And we will say, no. Marriage is a next stage. It's an extension of the Christian life, but it's just an extension of patterns. So I said we were going to talk about who to choose. Look for people who have good patterns now. Mm. Okay. And start to establish good patterns now. That's some of the keys to enduring affection in marriage. Prepare now. There, there's a commitment to unity, and there's a passion for transformation. My guess is many of you didn't think that this would be what we would talk about here. That the key to affection and enduring affection is, is gently pointing out each other's sins and directing them toward Christ and being open about our own to cherishing and nourishing each other in the word. But that is what Paul says clearly in Ephesians. That's the key. We have a few moments left. Questions that you have. And we, we have, have Mike, Mike Runner. The, uh, okay, so just Raise put your, your hand up if you have a question. There it is. Don't be embarrassed. Anything? Whoa, what do you up got? Front. We have one up here, just to make you walk, buddy. <laughs> um, I know you, you can hear me, right? I can hear you. Can you turn this mic on? Hello. There it is. Okay. Um, I know you talked about submitting to husbands, submitting to their, I mean, wives, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> wives submitting to their husbands. And I know you said it could be both ways, like you both submit, but the Bible says like the husband is the head of the household. Mm -hmm. So can you go like into more details as to like exactly what the role of the husband is? Sure, sure. Do you want to say it as you've seen it? Sure. Um, I think this idea of submitting one to another, which is the, the verse that comes right before our text, is pretty pivotal. But at the end of the day, before the Lord, Mark is held accountable for the final call. And I really appreciate, appreciate the way Mark does this um, very patiently and kindly, waiting for me to have buy-in often. Um, I can give you many examples <laughs> where it took me a long time to get on, to, to, for us to be in the same spot. But I think I see Mark's uh, love for me in his patience, waiting for me and making sure that we're both seeing things from the same perspective. But I do think there are probably times, and you can probably think about instances where you just have to make a call. Mm -hmm. yeah. can, well, one of the ways that I think about headship is if anything goes right, God gets the glory. If anything goes wrong, I get the blame. <laughs> but really, honestly, I'm like, okay, I did not lead really well. I, I just didn't lead well. And if I had led better or something, then things would have turned out better. So it's giving the glory to someone else and taking the blame for yourself, which is very different from what most people assume about headship. People assume headship is, I get my own way. You just mm -hmm. be quiet. In fact, years ago, we, we were doing premarital counseling, maybe pre-engagement counseling with a couple. And um, as we were talking about communication and marriage, the guy was so quiet. He wasn't saying anything. And finally... I said to him, so, so-and-so, why aren't you, you're just silent during this conversation. He's like, well, you know, the Bible says I'm going to be the head. Once we get married, she's got to do what I say. Quack. Okay. 
okay, can we take a little break here? <laughs> so he went to the bathroom. We, we, we talked to the woman. We're like, run, don't marry run. this guy. Like, don't. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I think headship no bueno. means I have the responsibility to work through and to lead the process of communicating and working toward unity. That's what it means to be a head. She's got to do what I say. Yeah, I mean, think about Jesus. He is the head of the church. What did it look like for him to be head? Yeah. To get his own way? Yeah. To lay down Wait a minute. Stuff, right? Yeah, to, take to the lay, blame, to, to take, take the, the blame, to yeah. take the shame. That's, right. yeah. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Thank you, though. Other questions? Yeah. Uh, you guys pick. Hi. I was wondering for Mark, what are some traits of, like, a godly man in, like, a marriage? Oh. <laughs> Okay, uh, a great passage to go to would be Job 29. So in Job 29, we mostly know Job because of his travails, you know, his difficulties. But in Job 29, he actually ref reflects back to when the Lord introduced all of his troubles because he was, the Bible says, the godliest man, the most righteous man on the face of the earth. There are a couple of things that, uh, that characterize that. First, he was a man of defending the poor and the weak and the, and the helpless. So a man who has an eye out for injustice and is willing to step in rather than protecting himself, he protects others. It says that, uh, that his friendship with God is strong. So I think a, a strong man realizes that in the home, I love first Jesus, and I love second Shannon, and then I love third my, my kids and stuff. So he has his order of devotion correct. And then and he also says that, um, that his children are always around him. And so I think a godly man doesn't take the harder parts of life and say, you got the kids, right? A godly man says, no, I, I want to get in the muck and the mire of raising these kids and being a part of their life and stuff. I, I, I commend that verse to you. Any other things that come to mind? Yeah, that's men? great. I think yeah. Philippians 2 as yeah. well, you know, Christ's humility and, and putting off what he, he deserved to have. Yeah, and, and I, I would say this, I really appreciate the question, I'm just sort of thinking ahead. I think in my mind, Philippians 2 is a great passage that in terms of our weakness, what Jesus did is he humbled himself. And I think it's tempting for men when they see weakness, either to try to crush it or to avoid it. Or fix it. Or fix it, mm -hmm. yeah, that's really true. Mm -hmm. But what a godly man does is he enters in in humility and his own weakness and tries to bring redemption and healing into it. That's what I would say. Great question. Yeah, other, other question? So I know that you mentioned that these things aren't just for marriage, but should be like starting to prepare in the relationship. So what are some like specific ways that you started to like prepare for those things while you were still in the relationship stage? Yeah, I, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, I think godly friendships are a real good way to start. And roommates and spheres of influence, like are you a person that builds others up and cherishes others, sees God's image in the other person? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to bear God's image. Everyone bears God's image. Yeah. And so you become that person and you ask, we call it I hope this is okay. We call it a hunting license. <laughs> like, you know, Mark has a hunting license, you know, and I have a hunting license to kill sin before it kills us, okay? You know, we're packing, definitely. So 
that's something. Do you, in your relationships with people, do you give them the hunting license and say, please, I am blind to my own blindness. Help me see it. I want to kill sin before it kills me. I mean, it has no dominion over me. Why not kill it? That kind of thing. I think yeah. those are really good starting points in, in a few close relationships, as, especially yeah. trustworthy. So Shannon and I never dated. Right. So we never dated. Yeah. So I, I knew Shannon. And, and the way that I knew I wanted to marry her was not by intimate dates over candlelight at, at you know, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> candlelight, Cracker Barrel. Budget. But, <laughs> but I just saw, in terms of her life, did she, was she living the type of life that I'm like, this is so attractive, I, I want to be part of this. And so she was investing in younger women and she was open with other women. She had strong relationships with godly women. She was being discipled by older women. Like all this stuff that we were talking about, she was already doing in a miniature part of her life. And I'm like, great. So now I want that now to be a part of my life. So that, that's what attracted me to it. So I think just look for all of this stuff and start to do all of this stuff in life. So that, that's how it worked for us. Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Probably got time for one or two more. Yeah. Becky? Well, we need the bike. Yeah, sorry. We'll get it there. How you doing, partner? Good. Yeah. As you go through um, premarital counseling, yeah. what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the, the most biblical challenges that you see couples go through, if that makes sense? It does. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things that we often talk through is how to work through conflict. That's just like, bottom line, because all of us face conflict and very few of us are good at working through it. And that one, of the, one of our favorite books on marriage is by a guy called Dave Harvey. It's called When Sinners Say I Do. Because the only people who get married are sinners. Mm -hmm. And so the, you're bringing sin into the marriage. So if you don't learn how to work through conflict in a godly, redemptive way, it will really undermine your marriage. Most of us are taught growing up to either flee or to explode. And the Bible has just another way to do it. So that's one of the key things. Would yeah, and, and I think, you know, com like communication, yeah, yeah. listening yeah. well, thoroughly to the other person to the point that you can articulate what they're saying from their perspective, and they would say, yeah, that's, that's exactly what, how I feel. That's exactly what I think. And before you start saying, well, but I, you know, so true biblical conversation is understanding the other person well, thoroughly, before you even ask permission, like, well, can I share what I think? And then they listen well. Yeah. That's just foundational for all this other stuff, money and all yeah. the other stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A really great book that, that we have used, in fact, most of the staff on our DM staff team have read it, and we're doing a retreat for the elders and wives at our church. I'm going to work through it. It's a book called Crucial Conversations. Like, how to have a crucial conversation. Mm -hmm. Where the emotions are high and, and the stakes seem high. Most of us, most people are not very good at it. Mm -hmm. Because they go in to make sure that their opinion is heard, rather than to understand what the other person is saying. we got time for one more question. I think there's, you have the mic back there. Yeah, who's got the Right 
Oh, there yes. we are. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, I heard that you mentioned that you never dated Shannon. So mm -hmm. as a godly man, like, how did you pursue her and let her know that you want to share your life with her? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't date. You're right. Um, Mark, I was in Connecticut. I mean, this will be the postage stamp version. He gave me a call and said, you know, when you're in the area again, I'd really like to take you to dinner, which was surprising because... You know, I was wondering why. Yeah, okay. never done that. Um, and I was in the area, and he took me to dinner. <laughs> what happened? Nothing. And nonverbal. I did my um, eyebrow. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and at that dinner, Mark started off by saying lots of nice things, like very, you're you're godly, and you're all these nice, nice things. So I was like, thank you, thank you. And then he said, so I I'd, I'd like to marry you. Straight up. Straight up. And I was like this. I was like, oh. Can I? <laughs> Go ahead. Well, and I made sure to do that after she ordered because she couldn't, I couldn't eat, eat afterwards. He got two meals. So I got two meals. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Anyway, and he said, you know, I know that you don't know me in that type of a context. So I would love to take the next six months to develop our, our friendship and get to know each other in that way. And I'd like to do that in the context of an older, wiser, godly couple, getting some time with them so that they can ask us good questions and we can be above reproach in our purity um, and I can really care well for you. So would you be open to doing that or consider that? And he had recommended a couple, and I said, well, I like this couple better. He's like, great. So then we, next six months, regularly got time with that couple, and we also went on, you know, spent time together with groups of people, and so, and then six months went by, and he said, will you mirror me? And I said, I had my thing prepared, and instead I just said, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my thing prepared. I was like, oh. Would you marry me? <laughs> and then she said yes, and then six months later, we were married, and the first time we ever kissed was on our wedding day. Aww. True. So Because I, I really believe, you know, historically, when the, when the pastor or says, you may now kiss your bride, it's actually permission. It's not just, well, since you've done it so often, do it again for all of us, you know. It's saying, now this part of the relationship is open because the covenant has been established publicly. And I still remember this, I'll, I'll just end with this, is uh, since we had never kissed before, and we're gonna be in front of all these people, I'm like, we gotta do this, right? So <laughs> Shannon was at that boarding, getting our hair done. Yeah, girls do it. Yeah, I got her hair done. So I had, a, I had a friend deliver a note to her, and the no you still have it, the mm -hmm. note said, lean to the right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. If you have any, I, we need to let you go because lunch, you, you're going to meet up with your campus groups for lunch. Um, any other questions we hear? I'll, we want to pray for you really quick. And I'm going to pray using the prayer that Paul uses in Ephesians 3. So let's pray. Our Father, we ask that according to the riches of your glory, that you may grant all of us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that all of us being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all of your fullness, O God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.